At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Well, it's funny. We had this pod scheduled before all this happened, but as of right now, his expertise is needed more than ever. Larry Kuhn, the cap father is here the creator of CBA FAQ, basically the man who allowed all the rest of us peons to have any kind of cap knowledge at all. Uh, how are you guys holding up down there? Uh, not We're not as bad as we hear you guys are up there. I hear that you guys are in a complete lockdown as of tonight. Um, I'm hunkered down in my house. We're not really going anywhere here, but there hasn't really been... Um, Orange, we're in Orange County, and Orange County hasn't really been hit hard yet. Of course, nobody wants it to get to that point, and everybody wants to, you know, smooth the curve as much as possible. Yeah, we're uh, until April seventh. We basically will only be leaving the house for groceries and medicine. So that's uh, that's that was actually my plan anyway. And uh, also, I just don't really like other people, so it's not it's not too <laughs> hard for me. Um, no, no. I mean, it's it's going to be hard, but I'm, we're, we're just me and my wife in the house here. We're in a lot better situation than some people. I, I was talking to some of my friends in the East Coast, and they're like, "Do you you don't understand? Do you like you're gonna we're gonna be in the house with our children alone for weeks? I was yeah, like, with nowhere to go. I was like, oh man, that's uh that doesn't sound too good at all. No, not in the least. This is really going to test a lot of things for us. Yeah, so I wanted to just talk about now we've had since Wednesday, you know, I think we seriously begin thinking about, I mean, it's amazing to think that it was maybe eight days ago that it even appeared possible that there could be some kind of a shutdown, that things could could be affected here with the NBA. Now we're on this hiatus. We don't know how long it's going to last. And so I kind of wanted to just go through a roadmap here you think about this stuff more than just about every everyone that i know uh, of just what some of the issues that are going to pop up uh, are going to be try to take a, a forward lens to this uh, and you know even try to guide even some of the uh the players association and the league through this because i know they're probably still all just trying to deal with the short-term impact of this of you know where can guys practice and how, how do we keep guys in shape and keep in touch with people and all that stuff so um, yeah, and this is yeah. this is completely uncharted territory for everybody. I was talking to one team guy over the weekend, and he was saying, you know, these we know these sections are in the CBA, but nobody's read them, not, not in 20 <laughs> years, right? You just know that they're there, but ah, we're not going to ever need this. Well, this is that time. Yeah, I, it's crazy. So, I, I mean, you, you uh, I, I think... I talked about this a little bit with John Hollinger yesterday uh, on our pod, but you can't obviously divorce this from what's happening in the world at, at large. So uh, just kind of take us through where we're at right now, where, where uh, I mean, not in the entire world, obviously, but like just uh, how you see this affecting things, you know, over the next like four or five months or so, uh, what some of the scenarios are that, that you've been thinking about. Well, sure, because, you know, we're not in a prevention scenario anymore. Keeping this out is not an option that's on the table. This is hitting us. It's an exponential curve, which means that the every day gets worse and, you know, exponentially worse. So 
I hear the doubling rate is what four or five days right now. So yeah. you know, there's we just passed four thousand cases today, eight thousand in four or five days, then sixteen. It's going to get a lot worse. So what we're trying to do is protect healthcare. We're trying to protect protect hospitals from getting just absolutely slammed and overwhelmed. The number of beds, the number of ICU beds, the number of ventilators. If we get to the point where there's not enough ventilators, we're going to get into a situation like Italy where people are going to die, um, where they just have to pick which one of these two people is going to get a ventilator and which one isn't. So smoothing the curve is is the word of the week. Um, and we all need to help practice that through social distancing. Um, you know, the CDC the C is recommending no gatherings of more than 50 people. Obviously, things are shutting down. So the Bay Area where you are, you know, you just said you're not able to go out. You know, I'm staying at home with my family. Um, you know, things around here, restaurants are closing down, everything else, you know, they're, or they're take, take out or delivery only. So everybody's feeling it. And so is the NBA. They were fortunately the one of the first organizations to really jump on this. And as soon as Rudy Gobert tested positive, they said, that's it, we're suspending. We can't continue like this. So um, originally, I think that they were overly optimistic in it being and saying it was going to be at least a month. Um, now, per Woj, he's saying that the league is looking at the that being mid-June as the best-case yeah. scenario. But even then, I mean, it's not... Th- th- this is something that's out in the wild now. And even if we smooth the curve, if we, it, you know, if it starts to go down, it's going to come back because there, there's we haven't acquired immunity to this to this virus yet. Right now, nobody has had it except you know for the ones who are getting it the first time now. So we're all what's called a novel host. Now, once it comes back a second time after a lot of people have had it, it's going to get a little bit better. And of course, once a vaccine becomes available in mass, then that's going to help. But until then, I don't know what we could possibly say is a safe point for resuming normal activity. Um, so if the league is looking at, at playing again, they're looking at a couple of scenarios, right? One is when is it acceptable to put 10 players and three refs and any other essential personnel in sequestered away in a building to play a game? Um, versus when is it safe to let fans in? And I don't know the answer to that. I think it's going to take yeah. take a very long time. You know, if uh, and, and I'm not even sure what they could do to say it's okay just to have the minimum number of people to have a game. No, I I've, I mean, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that you could do that with less than you know if you're televising it with less than maybe you know a hundred people. Right. Uh, and and John and I talked yesterday about. The idea of having everyone at, at one site to do it uh, and reducing the number of traveling parties, but I mean that—that's the question, right? Just when are are you at the point where you can feel? I mean, number one, like the first prerequisite is everyone gets to who might be involved or is close to someone who might be involved in terms of the traveling party gets tested and and they have a negative test. I mean, that's step number one. But then how do you, you would have to continue to monitor that uh-huh. and how are you preventing any of those, the people who tested negative from acquiring the virus during this time when you're trying to play some games? Exactly. You're, you're basically talking about sequestering the entire league. It would have to be in one place because again, like you said, the travel, even though the, these guys fly charter, there's just too much exposure to too many different things. So where do you go? to do something like that. You know, you could, uh, conceivably, you can have a situation analogous to Summer League, right? We pack a couple of, of places in Vegas and we just do regular games all the time just to get it done. But man, I just, I don't see that as yeah. really being a viable but Las issue. Vegas, the, the cleanest yeah. place on earth. <laughs> we can, exactly. The, the, I, I gotta be honest, that wasn't the first place that came to mind for me is like, uh, <laughs> where, where you're well, the only up. reference was much as I love it there. Vegas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but where I mean, you don't need arenas if you're if you're doing fanless games. Yeah, but you do need you know maybe it's L.A. with the Lakers practice facility and the Clippers and maybe a couple of other gyms in the area that are smaller that they could set up TV. I mean, I guess it's it's feasible, but the, the, you're talking about. A, a really extensive operation with very, very small tolerance for error. 
because if you make one mistake and and something gets in it could spread to everybody pretty quickly so i don't know what i mean they're they're Tolerance for risk has to be extraordinarily small right now, which means that the the workable scenarios are basically non-existent. Yeah, and maybe we could get to a point where it maybe there isn't a vaccine, but at least there's palliative care where you the like elderly people can survive more, or we have more respirators available, or the curve has been flattened enough that you know. People who get sick can go to the hospital and they're going to have a hospital bed or, you know, their antiviral drug, you know, whatever the things that people are looking at where you can still mitigate the effects of this, even if there isn't a true vaccine available yet. And then maybe it's not as big of a deal, you know, if people actually test positive, can we get to that point? I mean, that's that's what's so scary about the risk now is just the total unknown nature of this illness. I mean, it's been around for two months, essentially, uh, that anyone could even study it. Yeah, I mean, everybody keeps comparing it to the seasonal flu where, oh, once it gets warmer, we're going to be better. Well, we don't know that this bug is going to respond like that. And by the way, when we're in our summer, summer, the southern hemisphere is in their winter and it's just going to be a breeding ground there and it's going to come back again. There will be a, some level of immunity just because some, uh, the, a growing number of people have had it before, but not nearly enough for true herd immunity where a... An, um, an infection can't proliferate. So let's talk, actually, let's take a quick break here first, uh, and then, then we can talk about some of, some of the CBA implications of uh, a potential, uh, you know, or, or well, not potential, it's going to have a long postponement or, or even a, a cancellation of the season. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door, free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? Like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm, it's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. Things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since 
spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout please remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us so let, let's talk about just some of the big issues that you know as you someone who knows the cba better you know all of these obscure provisions that nobody ever <laughs> looks at better than anyone else what are like the the main aspects and issues that have come to mind here for you right now well, it's. I don't think we need to go that far beyond the elephant in the room, which is the revenue, the money. Yeah. Because if we're missing a number of games and and the money is skewed toward the end of the season, right? At the beginning of the season, the national TV games haven't, sh- haven't started um, being shown yet. Christmas is obviously the big starting day for that. And it's obviously skewed toward the playoffs. So we're losing the meat of the season and that's, you know, we're losing all the, the gate revenue for that. And if we're missing TV games, we're missing the TV revenue for that. So this is going to be a huge hit on the league. How big of a hit sort of depends on what the completion scenario is for the season. Do we cancel it entirely? Well, that's going to be the biggest financial hit. Do they hold the games without fans? Well, that's going to make up some of the TV revenue, but there's going to be a big loss there. Do we... Um, spread it out over a longer period of time and still hold it well logistically even if that happens there's still going to be a a big loss from everything is there some hybrid scenario where they do i don't know a an abbreviated regular season and a full playoffs or something in the middle there whatever happens there's going to be a big financial hit and the the league is based around the players and the league sharing the finances and they only know how much they made or how much in this year, how much they didn't make in arrears. They figure that out yeah. with a league audit at the end. But contracts are all signed in advance. And that's the whole point of the salary cap and the escrow system to give them some margin for error to fine tune it. But uh, uh, the escrow system is not going to make up for a, a huge drop in revenues like that. So right now we're we're looking at the players by virtue of their contracts um, maybe getting way more money than their the CBA says that they're entitled to. And the league has a couple of uh, of things. Well, so so let's let's just that. Uh, nail that down for a second here. So the escrow system is basically, and you can clarify on this. I, I'm going to try and say it as succinctly as I can, 10% of the players' salaries are held back in the escrow system, essentially. And if it turns out that under the CBA, the players were getting too much money, the mechanism is, well, the owners just end up keeping that 10% uh, instead of it going to the players. But if in some of the scenarios we're talking about, that 10% would st- even if the players get that taken away, that still leads to the players getting quote unquote too much money. They would get a much higher percentage of BRI than the 51% maximum that they are supposed to because they've already been paid a bunch of money already and they have the salaries that the owners have to pay out and then the revenue is just not going to be there. So, so that's that's the scenario that you're talking about here now. Is that a good way of summarizing it? Yeah, that's basically it. And there's a, a little bit of a cushion there. There's a supplemental benefits pool. That's 1% of BRI that they can take some of the extra money out. But at, there comes a point where you can't take out anymore. And the, the players ended up getting too much. Now, there are also provisions in the CBA that help address this. This is what would be considered a force majeure event, essentially an act of God, something completely unforeseeable that prevents them from holding games, and um, a, and an out, you know, a outbreak like this is considered to be one of those things that um, qualify as a force majeure event. When that happens and games aren't played, then for the games that aren't played, the league does 
and it doesn't say have the option to. It says they shall withhold uh, a fraction of their salary for each game, and it's one over 92.6. Sort of, I'm not sure how they came up with the math on that one, but it's basically, I guess, what they figure would be the portion of the season plus the amount of playoff games the typical team would play. Um, so the 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 players would not even be entitled to that portion of their signed contracts because of this and, but is that enough to make up for what we're losing here i yeah. don't know because well so so the the force majeure is that is that something that automatically happens or does the league have to like has the discretion to either make that happen or not make that happen it says that it shall happen so okay. that's but um, none of that matters. Yeah, you can always negotiate everything here. Right. Well, and not only that, it, they also have to negotiate a situation like this because a force majeure event might be a situation where, okay, there's a tornado and some games just couldn't be held and we lost 10 games out of the schedule. This is way bigger than that. So this trips the revenue decline clause in the CBA. Which And I'll, I'll just read this. It says, if BRI for any salary cap year substantially decreases from the prior salary cap year BRI, and as a result, the players receive more than their designated share, as defined by the section. Yeah, and the, the designated year, share is that 51% exactly. is the most that they can get. Yeah. yeah. Then the NBA and the Players Association shall negotiate in good faith to agree upon an adjustment to the provisions of this agreement in a manner reasonably satisfactory to the parties to address the issue. So basically what that says is if everything comes down like it is right now, they got to get together and figure it out. So we could go by the letter of what's in the CBA, but this clause supersedes that, which just says this was a completely unforeseen circumstance. It was huge. We got to work together and figure it out. Yeah, now in those negotiations, the NBA can fall back on, well, hey, if we, if we can't agree on something, then the force majeure is what happens. Is that a good way of explaining it, or is that not how it works? I honestly don't know what would happen yeah. in that situation because the Players Association says could say, no, that's off the table. The only thing that's on the table right now is that clause that says yeah. we have to negotiate. Yeah, or, or I mean, I'm sure they can make the arguments that the force majeure clause shouldn't apply as well. I don't know how successful those would be. Um, and again, I mean, we're, we're talking about this could be, I mean, there is going to be a revenue decline almost for sure, you would think. Uh, and it's just a question of do how many games get canceled? Does the season get canceled? Uh, how much, how is the TV contract affected? You know, are they going to get 50% less revenue than they would have gotten between now and the end of the season? Or is it going to be more than that? I mean, I, I would, I'd be hard pressed to see how they would get it more much more than 50 percent um but i'm not privy to the numbers necessarily yeah basketball related income so the the thing that the designated share is a as a share of the basketball related income contains a lot of things you know in addition to the tv revenue and the 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 gate sales it includes you know jersey sales in the malls that people aren't shopping at for the next couple of months it it you know it includes a lot of things that are sources of revenue for the league that are probably going to be drying up for the near term so let's say that the revenue were to get reduced and again there isn't some other negotiated solution which in reality we're probably going to get there but i think it's important to to frame these negotiations in, well, what would happen if we don't reach an agreement? And so, um, you know, your argument was, hey, maybe there just should be nothing. We just have to negotiate a new agreement. There is no fallback here. But let's say there just is this revenue decline. How would next year's salary cap be affected in the absence of an agreement to the contrary? Well, the interesting thing is that the salary cap is based on projected revenues for the upcoming season. So let's say that they come up with a solution where this season is just trashed uh, and they're just going to pick up again with next season. But by the time we get there, whatever, there's a vaccine available, there's enough immunity, everything's going to come back. I don't know how much projected revenues for next season would be hurt. I 
would imagine. I mean, anytime you have this big of a bump in the road, I assume it would be some. But conceivably, they could be they could be whole by then and projected revenues wouldn't be hurt that much and therefore the salary cap wouldn't be hurt that much. Now their formula would have to change because what they do to figure out the projected revenues is to take the known values for the national TV money and then do a 4.5% bump on the actuals for the previous season for everything else. Yeah. And obviously they can't base it on that. So one of the things that they would certainly do would be to prop it up artificially and say, well, this formula that we're going to use for this one time is going to be a better predictor of of revenues for this season than the previous season's anomalous revenues were. And that's what they've done like in the lockout seasons, right? They had partial seasons and, you know, they have a 60 or a 66 game season. And then they say, all right, for the, for this season, we're going to agree to this amount for the salary cap and for everything else. And then next year, we're going to go back to the formula, but it can't be less than this year's value. So they artificially prop it up like that and then let the formula take over. I would imagine that they would come up with something like that where they're going to say, we know that the the usual formula is not going to work. We're going to do this this year. We're going to do this next year. And then we're going to be back to something close to normal. It's interesting, though. You and I have talked about this a lot. And again, I'll stress this before I go into this of there's no indication right now that the two sides are not negotiating really well and working together we've seen that uh there's been a moratorium on transactions that the sides have agreed to there's been a uh pause to drug testing due to some health concerns with those inspectors uh, as well and so it seems like the two sides are working together pretty well so far and i don't have a reason to believe that that's not going to continue well not only that but look at what happened with the previous CBA negotiation. Yeah, this was it. They did it six months ahead of time. They they got along together very nicely. Now the the variable for me is who's involved in the negotiation, right? If it's Dan Rube from the league and Ron Klempner from the Players Association, and just those two kind of figuring it out, okay. But on the union side, are they getting players involved? Uh, that could. That's just an extra variable where you're not quite sure how they're going to come down on it. Um, same thing with some of the owners. So depending on how certain parties view what needs to happen in any negotiation, if the players say, no, we need to make our money or, or vice versa, it could get testy. Yeah, I think it, it just depends what the climate is there, too. It just, I mean, I think everyone is just going to be so happy to getting back to playing games our country is going to need this frankly i think right. like it's it's just to imagine like the joy that i personally even would feel going back into an nba arena and knowing that it's safe and getting to do my job and see all the happy people there cheering would just be an amazing feeling right now and i imagine that months from now when this is going to happen it'll feel even more amazing so yeah, yeah in the best case scenario right they get together and say look this was unforeseen it's a shared burden let's let's come up with a compromise that's going to work for everybody we're just going to to share this burden in the worst case scenario it's going to be you know like it's the supermarket and the last ba- uh, little bag of toilet paper is on the shelf Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. 
things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. So in that second scenario that that you talked about, if if it were to get contentious, it's a little bit different than, I mean, obviously there isn't nearly as much contentiousness as of now as compared to, say, a lockout situation. But the fact that this occurred three-quarters of the way through the season is the timing of it is different than if you were right at the start of the year because the, the way things are spaced out, the players earn their money based on the regular season. So the players have kind of earned essentially three quarters of their money. They haven't gotten paid it necessarily, but contractually they are owed, you know, three fourths of the season worth of pay already. And the owners haven't, they make a lot more of their money during the playoffs when the players actually aren't getting paid that much, or in some cases, not all, or, or aren't earning that much, I should say to, to be precise. So it is a little bit of a different negotiating here where the players to some respect if the owners are going to say, well, hey, you know, you got to take this haircut with us and the players have already gotten paid their money and the owners haven't made the revenue yet uh, to that would then account for the revenue that's going to pay those salaries. That's a little bit different of a negotiating situation than we've seen before where the players were would be the ones hurt more by missing games early in the season relative to the owners. Yeah, and I would have to think that they take a more holistic approach to that, where they just yeah. say, overall, this is what's happening to the revenue. And I don't think they get down to the number of games that they play, because they they all know that a finals game is worth way more than a regular season game in December. Yeah. So they're not... Yeah. And, and, I, and not, playing, not playing those games. I mean, it, I could see... Well, let's say it comes down to this, Larry, right? Let's say the players have already made three quarters of the season this year. And so the players say, hey, you know what? Like, we don't really earn more money when we have a finals. You're talking about restarting the 1920 season in September, and then we have to truncate the next season, and then everyone's going to lose money on the next season because there aren't as many games. So for the players financially, I mean, at least just, as it stands now, it would seem to me it might almost be better for them to just play a full season next year and not play a playoffs when they're not technically earning any money. Now, I think hopefully everyone would come to the agreement that, no, it's actually more important to have a playoffs and the players want to actually play in the playoffs and have a champion and, and all that stuff. That's why they, they play the game. But that is an interesting dynamic. I don't know, do you think there's anything to that or, or am I... Uh, just going too far out in the weeds here. No, I think that could very well be one of the things that they strive for. Let's let's do what we can with this season, you know, mitigate the losses as much as we can without affecting next season. That especially if it looks like, you know, let's say a vaccine gets accelerated and it looks like things may be okay starting in, I don't know, December might be the latest that they could play a full season. Uh, there's a lot of things that are possible, but I think limiting the damage to one season might be one of the those criteria um yeah so well so you think that would be in make it more likely that they would kind of uh, that it could be very truncated or even canceled than maybe so because so, i mean for me it just uh, from an entertainment standpoint i would say finish this season out you want to shave 25 games off the regular season next year i don't really care about that and then have a playoffs next year but you think that's less likely to happen because of what we're talking about here? I think that one thing that they might try to do is abbreviate the regular season for, in order to preserve a more complete playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, and that the players would be on board with that. I mean, I, I hope that they would be. Um, but yeah, you would have to figure out the revenue because the, there is just this weird situation where the players earn all their money in the regular season and the owners earn more of their money relatively in the playoffs, even if, you know, it all comes from the same revenue and it's all supposed to go into the same pie. That's just what it, the contracts are based on regular seasons games, games played. Yeah. Although I might take issue with your use of the word earn there. 
because yeah. you know their contract is for, this is for services provided for an entire season. Yeah. And that includes the late season, that includes the playoffs, if you're playing in them. Uh, so they got paid the the vast majority of their money. In some cases, you know, players get paid in advance even. Um, you know, starting November 15th and every other week, they're, they're getting their paychecks. But it gets earned by virtue of everything they're doing for the year. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a fair point. That's why I've always kind of felt it was weird that players didn't get paid during the playoffs necessarily but i guess if you're not making the playoffs then, then it's hard to have that happen right <laughs> yep. um so what is it some smaller issues here for next year what what is popped or, or the rest of this year and next year i mean i think the most interesting thing is just you know where is the cap going to be set where is the tax going to be set um how do you see those those issues being affected here um well, like I said, we already covered cap tax. I think that they will agree to prop it up to a certain value, and then that will be what they use. But for the remainder of this season, there's there's still a lot of variables, yeah. such you know, such as um, what happens with luxury tax. Um, with revenue going down. And some teams are kind of depending on that money. Now, this year, fortunately, there's probably, there wasn't going to be a lot of luxury tax money being split up among the non-taxpaying teams, but you still have that. What happens if you have incentives that are based on the number of games played or things like that? You know, play, a lot of players could be losing out on incentive money and that'll change the likelihood or unlikelihood and therefore the cap things for next year um you know that sort of thing could happen there could be um like we already talked about a big escrow shortfall um by the letter of the law if there's a big shortfall like that the there's mechanisms in place to bring the cap down next year um just to kind of slam on the brakes if something bad happens that they may not want to trigger so they'll they might negotiate that out yeah, can, can you explain what that mechanism would be? So what happens is that the cap is like, setting the cap is like aiming a cannon. Uh, you shoot the cannon. If you shoot short, you aim a little bit higher for the next shot. If you shot long, you aim a little bit lower for the next shot. Um, that's what happens with the cap on a year-by-year -year basis. If it ends up, because the cap is supposed to help set the players aggregate salaries to the right amount um, so that when they get to the end of the year they're going to be pretty close so if the players got paid too much in the previous year they're going to put on the brakes a little bit and after they, they apply the regular formula they're going to lower it a little bit now it's this is based on like fine adjustments typically yeah. where they lower it just a little bit or if they got underpaid they're going to raise it a little bit again aim higher but with something like this where um, all hell breaks loose, then I think that they're going to say that that particular formula doesn't really apply here. We're just going to ignore it and we're going to agree to specific amounts to use. Otherwise, that's just going to mess us up. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like it would be productive to say, oh yeah, well now the salary cap is going to be $95 million next year and the luxury tax, every team is going to be in the luxury tax. I mean, especially when you look at the reality that probably only about five, six teams were going to have cap space this year. Yeah. And so there, this is going to be a pretty salary cap impacted year already. And so putting every single team in the luxury tax for next year, like that, that doesn't do anyone any good, I don't think. Right. Right. And if this is probably going to happen anyways, this is going to change a lot of players' decisions on what to do with their options if they have them this year. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it, it seems like that's true. Uh, and yeah, wow. I mean, that that's just, I mean, how many players' preferences will be changed just because, like, this tragedy, they just want to be close to home with family. They would sign, I mean, the, like, to begin to even think about the effects that this is going to have uh, on just people's personal preferences. It, uh -huh. It's like you can't begin to, uh, to calculate it, really. Um, yeah, there's nothing yeah. that's happened in the past that's going to be a good guide for what's going to happen here. This is uncharted territory. Yeah, I mean, I was talking with John about the '99 lock or the uh, the 2011 lockout and how they were able to go from like December 8th and start an off season and be ready to play on December 25th. And so, 
that's that's maybe a guide of how quickly they could restart next season uh and what kind of a gap there would need to be between the the uh, the two seasons as well um yeah well another nice thing about that that's i think a good example f- from another perspective it's that they were once they just they came to an agreement and said all right we're throwing open the doors we are we're working on the CBA. Here's the terms. You're not going to get the actual text in your hands for a while. There's We're writing it quickly, so there's probably going to be mistakes that we're going to have to go back and fix. You guys can throw open your doors right away. You can start signing players even before we have all these rules down. There was a lot of good faith there. There was a lot yeah. of, okay, th- we're going to make some mistakes. We'll deal with it. We'll fix things, and we'll get the season started. So I think that is um, a spirit that was going to have to happen again this time every day our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart but then there are moments that remind us to be more human thank you for calling amica insurance hey uh i was just in an accident don't worry we'll get you taken care of at amica we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking it's human amica empathy is our best policy. So a couple other smaller issues uh, that you pointed out when we talked before the show, uh, in theory, NBA contracts only run through June 30th. Mm-hmm. Although that's really probably the easiest thing to fix, right? That's yeah. Just whenever the season ends, that's when we're going to say that these contracts end. Um, I, I don't, yeah, that's, that's an issue, but I just see them changing the turnover of the salary cap year at that point. Yeah, well, and John pointed out in his piece that the coaches and support staff and executives, they don't have really a union. that It's not collectively bargained for them to collectively change all of this at once. You know, maybe the commissioner can just decree that these contracts go along, but like, there isn't necessarily a mechanism for everyone to agree on this. Like, you kind of individually, every person would have to agree, and, you know, maybe they would. Uh, but that's a could be an interesting impediment here. Yeah, I I could see um, some contracts being drawn up that just says we're modifying the terms of our agreement to change the end date to this and rapid docusign on everything. But yeah, it could be it could be yeah. messy. If somebody I, I, I mean, if you're reason. if you're Mike D'Antoni and you mm-hmm. want a long term contract with Houston that they haven't given you. Oh yeah. Oh. And let's say you're just like, hey, I, this is when my contract ends. You got to pay me this much, and you want me to coach the rest of the season. Uh, how about you give me a four-year deal? That's certainly something that somebody could do. And a D'Antoni situation is exactly the the sort of thing that is a prime candidate for that. Yeah. Now, I would imagine that there's going to be again, as you're talking about, more of a spirit of collectivism. Than that, that there would be uh, there'd be an outcry for coaches who wanted to do that when you know it would just seem like kind of almost un-American, maybe even to be like, oh well, I'm going to try and profit off of this now, um, as opposed to finishing this because like those ultimately that staff is hopefully not going to be prejudiced, right? I mean they're they're not able to work that much right now. They're gonna there'll be a new season where they can get new jobs and and hopefully things wouldn't change that much for them to where you know it would be too much of a sacrifice to just extend their contracts and and also i think maybe you would even get to the point too where if you did that and you really tried to put teams feet to the fires that you would uh you just it would just not help your reputation for getting future jobs in the league so that's uh, it's something to consider i'm hopeful that that won't be a major impediment to getting business going. Um, another thing that you brought up is David Thorpe, but I think it's worth discussing is uh, let's say EuroLeague. I mean, you would think that the EuroLeague would also want to finish their season, but if their season gets canceled, now teams could just sign EuroLeague players in August or something when things restart to join up. What do you think of that prospect? I mean, is it possible? Sure. Um, because teams in the NBA, teams can sign players up through the last game of the regular season. So if there's somebody out there who's suddenly available that's going to help you, and you can sign them, you could be you could be signing players. Yeah, 
I, to me, if I were, and I think this moratorium is, has maybe augurs this, that they may go in this direction. But to me, I think my goal as the league and the players would be, let's bring it back as close as possible to where we were at the uh, at the time of the hiatus. And maybe you'd say, well, all right, if someone has a season-ending injury that happens between the, the beginning of the hiatus and uh, when they restart, then okay, maybe you can replace that player. Or so, someone gets injured during a, a truncated five-game regular season before the playoffs, then you can replace them. But I think my thought would be, let's just try and preserve it as much as possible let's try to keep the character of the 1920 season as much as possible going into a potential playoffs sure and everybody could be saying that but as tommy shepherd likes to say it just takes one you know one one person who says no i don't want to play by those rules yeah but one one blank yes <laughs> it just takes it just takes one blank to, 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 to do that yeah <laughs> I don't know. Is this a PG yeah. rated well, well, show? Well, I think I think maybe just the negotiation between the players' association and the uh, and the NBA m- might like account for that and say no, like you you you're not going to just go sign a bunch of new players here uh, for the end of the season. Yeah, that's it's it's certainly possible. That that would be my hope, at least. And um, you know what? If it happens, then that's the least of their worries. You hope that we're going to be in a situation where they're able to play games again this year and we have to worry about them signing an extra player for the playoffs. All right, well, do you want to do a just totally pie-in-the-sky prediction here, which we can maybe per- periodically update as as this goes on? But I'm just going to say, just take a guess at it. Uh, I'll do it too. What do you think the salary cap is for next year? I think that... Uh, are, are we on the premise that they're going to hold a full season next year as close as practicable. I mean, my guess, I mean, my educated or I'm sorry, let me try again. (laughs) My, my uneducated guess would be starting up no fans, July, August, September, something like that leading to a somewhat truncated playoffs. And then bleeding into next year with next year's regular season, maybe starting in December at some point. That would be my guess as to what ends up happening. But again, uh, you know, I might want to consult an epidemiologist on that one first before yeah. I really make a, a prediction. Well, I mean, just, just so we can base this on some sort of premise, right? Let, let's just say yeah. that we hold something close to an 82-game season next year whenever it starts, right? Yeah. If, if that happens, I think that they would say that there would be a drop in revenue but not a disastrous drop, and then they will prop up the cap Let's say, oh, one ten. Yeah, I, I, my, I think that just the anchoring of, and especially the fact they kind of did that in the twenty eleven lockout too, to just have it be the exact same as it was for for. Did they do that the at the first year? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just have it be the exact same as last year. I mean, I think that anchoring it just it just provides a natural point to negotiate and settle on and be like, all right, you know. If it's just the same as last year, that's no big deal, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it wasn't like 2011 wasn't the same as 2010. Um, yeah. 2012 was the same as 2011 because the, the that's where they set the floor, which is the 2011. But they just yeah. negotiated the 2011 cap, and I think that they would do the same thing again. Yeah, that's that seems like it would, it would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, and, and that could probably – would put a – break on spending compared to i mean 115 was the league's last estimate and there is in theory going to be an increase again in the national tv deal which is baked in probably a lot of local tv deals also have that baked in but they're with the loss of revenue from tickets and whatnot or potentially fewer games then you could see a drop uh, yeah also so and it's not yeah. a huge free agent year, um, especially when you consider, like we were just saying, that a lot of players with options are going to opt in. I mean, I would see, ju- just to pick probably the prime free agent, Anthony Davis would just say, screw it, I'm going to opt in and I'll deal with free agency when it's back to normal. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I guess it, especially if you're projecting, Danny has talked about this some, if you're projecting, you go from, 109 next year so that's going to hold down spending and and the the the, uh, tax would be lower as well so that's going to hold down spending for next year 
and then it's back to normal in 2021, Anthony Davis might not want to sign that five-year deal with the Lakers that only has 8% raises off of a relatively lower number if you're going to bump up to you know 123 or something in the summer of 2021 uh, and you could start at just a much higher number you know that that's a good point exactly although it does seem like there's not that many just like no-brainer max guys in next year's free agent class as we've talked about a lot um all right anything else that's kind of been on your mind uh, about since this since this all started well, there's a lot of ancillary events around the league. And, you know, of course, the, the primary concern is the NBA season itself. But there's also everything that's draft-related, right? Um, the combine, the draft itself, summer league, you know, even the Olympics, right? What are they going to do with the Olympics this year? And, uh, again, if the um, NBA season is played at um, a different you know, through different dates this year, those two could conceivably impact each other. Um, in addition to the fact that you're bringing all these people from all over the world together at a point where there's just been a pandemic. So I think we're going to see a lot of things that are just going to be weird for the next year. And I don't know that we're going to have life as usual for anything, including the Olympics. Yeah, I, the Olympics would seem like a pretty good candidate to get postponed because it's like okay i flew in for the olympics well now you're in quarantine for uh 14 days yeah. all right i'm out of quarantine oh the olympics just ended actually uh why don't you just head on back <laughs> uh yeah um well so and i'd be remiss of course if i don't ask you uh, as the uh the headmaster show shall we say a sports business classroom i know a lot of listeners uh, are always interested in that we've had a lot of listeners who come in and take it every year um a, a lot of alums who, who are going to come back but uh with summer league kind of in question i'm sure a lot of people are wondering uh what this means for sports business classroom going yeah forward. i mean we're just watching everything and as soon as we know we'll let everybody know at this point it's not off at this point it's not on um, we're just standing back and letting events transpire. Once we know, because we're part and parcel with the Summer League. Um, so once we know what Summer League is going to look like this year, that they're going to have it, um, when they're going to have it, we'll figure out what we're going to do with Sports Business Classroom. So at this point, we're continuing to accept registrations. We're not going out and actively promoting. We're not... Um, we're not continuing to collect payments. Um, and once things resolve themselves, we'll kind of get back to figuring out what we're going to do with the program. Uh, should people still apply if they're interested? I mean, absolutely, because at this point, number one, it's not going to hurt hurt you. We're not gonna, we're not going to be you know charging the the um, the tuition uh, unless we know that we're going to be having a sports business classroom. But if we decide, hey, we're going to do this in the alternative and the people who registered are going to get a break of some type, then, you know, maybe it's distance learning or something like that. Then it behooves you to be on our roster when that happens. Yeah, or at a minimum, you get your application in for next year in a, in a worst case scenario. Uh, yeah. But, and, but hopefully and it doesn't come to that. Exactly. So um, I foresee us doing something to take care of the people in any event who were registered for the program this year and by virtue of circumstances couldn't, you know, there was no program this year if it comes to that. So I, I would say if you're if you were thinking about it and you want to get your get your application and go for it, we'll certainly accept it um, and I'll review it. And then if we have a program, you'll certainly be in. All right. I, I've been asking the people that I podcasted with since uh, this whole thing started uh, uh, about some of their memories uh, of happier times. So uh, I'll rapid fire it for you here. Your favorite game that you've ever seen basketball game. Oh man. Um, you know, I've, it, it's, it's not a um, well-kept secret that I grew up as a Lakers fan. So I grew up with the magic Kareem worthy, um, teams and yeah you know, so the, so uh game, I, game five 1986 ralph sampson's <laughs> shot is, is that where you're going here yeah i still have a, a vivid burned in memory of michael cooper lying on the floor in disbelief on that one 
<laughs> okay, yeah. So, what, what, what is I thought we were talking about happier times, Nate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we got listeners in Houston too. <laughs> you, you know, it's it, but it was always the Lakers Celtics rivalry back then. So, there's any number of games you can point to back then that were just great memories not win or lose right just great memories for that rivalry but you know games like the the magic baby skyhook game things like that are are things that are certainly some of the most memorable um i had also had the pleasure of watching kobe uh a lot of his career live you know, sitting baseline in the media seats, and there's there were plenty of those games that were really memorable. His last game, um, his um, you know, I wasn't there for the 81 point game, but I was there for a lot of the 60 point games. I was there for a lot of those clutch games, like the um, that one last second clutch shot against the Miami Heat. So, you know, some of those games would also qualify on that list. Favorite player to watch. I mean, I grew up as a Magic Johnson fan, and he he would still qualify as my all-time favorite player to watch. Now, this year, um, it, it's... I don't know that I have a favorite. I just... I love watching Steph. I love watching Giannis. I I love watching... I, I love watching all the great players today and what the game has evolved to. Yeah, I mean, Magic, I'll still... There's a YouTube video. There's like... A, it's two parts. Like, each one is like 15 minutes of just like all of his best passes. It's called like Magic Johnson passing highlights. I, I don't know who put it, but he had, he's he got like, you know, games from 1983 against the Nuggets in the regular season on there. Like it's, it was just the amount of work that it must have taken was incredible, but it was, that that is an awesome video. I, I watched that like, you know, maybe once or twice a year just to, re, to remind yeah. myself of how ridiculous he was. Yeah, seeing the games where like he dives on the floor for a ball and then passes it a bounce pass between somebody's legs to <laughs> Kurt Rambis under the basket who how the hell did he see him there let alone grab a ball and get a pass across um, you know or even like his first game back um, you know after he had missed the time with his HIV diagnosis he came back he had a game against the Warriors you know his first game playing in all that time he comes back as a power forward he's bigger and he still did this fake out of Latrell Sprewell that I think Latrell's still wondering what happened. You know, stuff like oh that. yeah, that like fake the the fake shovel pass to the corner and then uh-huh. and then the layup, yeah, exactly. Or or just diving out of bounds and then the two hand directly behind um, the pine. See, I should have turned oh, my phone. Yeah, off. no, Amateur that, that was it was good that you actually gave me like a little. Uh, throwback to SBC when uh, whenever I'm hanging out with you there that that sound from your phone ringing is happening like every 30 <laughs> seconds so it, it really it really brought back some memories for me there hear, oh, hearing excellent. that ringer excellent whole foot's a happy sound for you Nate <laughs> um well so you did you play a lot of basketball back in the day you just grew up a Laker fan I mean you, you must have had an a real interest in like actual basketball before you just turned into a total CBA nerd, right? You know, unlike you, not as a player though. I never, yeah. I never played basketball in school. I mean, now I like to joke that I have too much respect for the sport to, to denigrate it by touching a basketball. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I mean, my dad was a Lakers fan. It was sort of the background of my life. Um, I like to say that I learned the game listening to Chick Hearn. Uh, because I would listen to Chick Hearn all the time, every week. And, uh, yeah, it it was as a spectator. I mean, I was a um, a, a cyclist. I was more of a, you know, it's a different kind of team sport. But that's what I did. I was never really a a basketball player at all. Yeah. No, you being a cyclist just, like, meshes really well with your personality because you're you're just, like, indefatigable. You never sleep. Like this you, is true. You, you and Danny never sleep. Like you guys, you guys just get like fifty percent more work done than I do because I actually need like my real eight hours of sleep uh, at all times. And uh, yeah, like you, you just like you have the ability to just like power through stuff. It makes a lot of sense that you are like a big cyclist. Um, 
All right, I, I think uh, I think that's all we got here. But uh, hopefully, keep us posted on SBC with what happens. We'll be looking for that, and uh, we'll have you on uh, when next year's salary cap is set at fifty-seven million dollars. <laughs> to uh, to uh, we could discuss why it was that we were so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once we know what happens, let's let's keep talking about this. Yeah. All right. Thanks again, Larry. My pleasure, Nate. Every day. Our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy.